Chapter 10 of Mary Annerley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elsie Selwyn. Mary Annerley by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. Chapter 10. Robin Life. Half a league to the north of Bold Flamborough Head, the billows have carved for themselves a little cove among cliffs which are rugged but not very high. This opening is something like the green shot of a mill, or a screen for riddling gravel. So steep is the pitch of the ground, and so narrow the shiny ledge at the bottom. And truly in bad weather and at high tides there is no single ledge at all. But the crest of the wave volleys up the incline, and the surf rushes on to the top of it. For the cove, though sheltered from other quarters, receives the full brunt of north-easterly gales, and offers no safe anchorage but the hardy fishermen make the most of its scant convenience and gratefully call it north landing albeit both wind and tide must be in good humour or the only thing sure of any landing is the sea the long desolation of the sea rolls in with a sound of melancholy the grey fog droops its fold of drizzle in the leaden-tinted troughs the pent cliffs overhang the flapping of the sail and a few yards of pebble and of weed are all that a boat may come home upon harmlessly yet here in the old time landed men who carved the shape of england and here even in these lesser days are landed uncommonly fine cod the difficulties of the feat are these to get ashore soundly and then to make it good and after that to clinch the exploit by getting on land which is yet a harder step because the steep of the ground like a staircase void of stairs stands facing you and the cliff upon either side juts up close to forbid any flanking movement and the scanty scarp denies fair start for a rush at the power of the hill-front yet here must the heavy boats beach themselves and wallow and yaw in the shingly roar while their cargo and crew get out of them their gunwales swinging from side to side in the manner of a porpoise rolling and their stem and stern going up and down like a pair of lads at seesaw but after these heavy boats have endured all that they have not found their rest yet without a crowning effort up that gravelly and glittery ascent which changes every groove and run at every sudden shower but never grows any the softer up that the heavy boats must make clamber somehow or not a single timber of their precious frames is safe a big rope from the capstan at the summit is made fast as soon as the tails of the jackasses laden with three count of fish apiece have wagged their last flick at the brow of the steep and then with yo heave ho above and below through the cliffs echo over the dull sea the groaning and grinding of the stubborn tug begins each boat has her own special course to travel up and her own special berth of safety and she knows every jag that will gore her on the road and every flint from which she will strike fire by dint of sheer sturdiness of arms legs and lungs keeping true time with the pant and the shout steadily goes it with hoist and haul and cheerily undulates the melody of call that rallies them all with a strong will together through the cliffs echoing over the dull sea the groaning and grinding of the stubborn tug begins each boat has her own special course to travel up and her own special berth of safety and she knows every jag that will gore her on the road and every flint from which she will strike fire by dint of sheer sturdiness of arms legs and lungs keeping true time with a pant and shout steadily it goes with hoist and haul and cheerily undulates the melody of call that rallies them all with a strong will together until the steep bluff and the burden of the bulk by masculine labor are conquered and a long row of powerful pinaches displayed as a mounted battery against the fishful sea 
with a view to this clambering ruggedness of life all of these boats receive from their cradle a certain limber rake and accommodating curve instead of a straight pertinacity of keel so that they may ride over all the scandals of this arduous world and happen what may to them when they are at home and gallantly balanced on the brow line of the steep they make a bright show upon the dreariness of coastland hanging as they do above the gullet of the deep painted outside with the brightest of scarlet and inside with the purest white at a little way off they resemble gay butterflies preening their wings for a flight into the depth here it must have been and in the middle of all these that the very famous robin lithe prophetically treating him but free as yet of fame or name and simply unable to tell himself shone in the doubt of the early daylight as a tidy-sized cod if forgotten might have shown upon the morning of st switham a d seventeen eighty two the day and the date were well remembered long by all the good people of flamborough from the coming of the turn of a long bad luck and a bitter time of starving for the weather of the summer had been worse than usual which is no little thing to say and the fish had expressed their opinion of it by the eloquent silence of absence therefore as the whole place lives on fish whether in the fishy or the fiscal form goodly apparel was becoming very rare even upon high sundays and stomachs that might have looked well beneath it sank into unobtrusive grief but it is a long lane that has no turning and turns are the essence of one very vital part suddenly over the village had flown the news of a noble arrival of fish from the cross-roads and the public-house and the licensed headquarters of pepper and snuff and the loophole where a sheep had been known to hang in times of better trade but never could dream of hanging now also from the window of the man who had had a hundred heads superior to his own shaking at him because he sat up for making breaches in opposition to the women and showed a few patterns of what he could do if any man of legs would trade with him from all these head centers of intelligence and others not so prominent but equally potent into the very smallest hole it went like the thrill in a troublesome tooth that here was a chance come of feeding a chance at last of feeding for the man on the cliff the despairing watchman weary of fastening his eyes upon the sea through constant fog and drizzle at length had discovered the well-known flicker the glassy flaw and the hovering of gulls and had run along wayne lane so fast to tell his good news in the village that down he fell and broke his leg exactly opposite the tailor's shop and this was on st swithin's eve there was nothing to be done that night of course for mackerel must be delicately worked but long before the sun arose all flamborough able to put leg in front of leg and some who could not yet do that gathered together where the landhold was above the incline of the launching of the boats here was a medley not of fisher folk alone and all their bodily belongings but also of the thousand things that have no soul and get kicked about and sworn at much because they can not answer rollers buoys nets kegs swabs fenders blocks buckets kedges corks bucky pots oars poppies tillers sprits gaffs and every kind of gear more than theocritus himself could tell lay about and rolled about and upset their own masters here and there and everywhere upon this half acre of slip and stumble at the top of the boat channel down to the sea and in the faint rivalry of three vague lights all making darkness visible for very ancient lanterns with a gentle horny glimmer and loopholes of large exaggeration at the top were casting upon anything quite within their reach a general idea of the crinkled tin that framed them and a shuffle of inconstant shadows but refused to shed any light on friend or stranger or clear up suspicions more than three yards off and rivalry with these appeared the pale disk of the moon just setting over the western highlands and drawing straws through summer haze while away and the northeast over the sea a slender irregular wisp of grey so weak that it seemed as if it were being blown away betokened the intention of the sun to restore clear ideas of number and figure by and by 
But little did anybody heed such things. Everyone ran against everybody else, and all was eagerness, haste, and bustle for the first great launch of the Flamborough boats, all of which must be taken in order. But when they laid hold of the boat number seven, which used to be the Mercy Robin, and were jerking the timber shores out, one of the men stooping under her stern beheld something white and gleaming. He put his hand down to it, and lo, it was a child in imminent peril of a deadly crush as the boat came heeling over. "'Hold hard!' cried the man, not in time with his voice, but in time with his sturdy shoulder to delay the descent of the counter. Then he stooped underneath while they steadied the boat and drew forth a child in a white linen dress, heartily asleep and happy. There was no time to think of any children now, even of a man's own fine breed, and the boat was beginning much to chafe upon the rope, and thirty or forty fine fellows were all waiting, loath to hurry Captain Robin, because of the many things he had dearly lost, yet straining upon their own hearts to stand still, and the captain could not find his wife, who had slipped aside of the noisy scene to have her own little cry, because of the dance her children would have made if they had lived to see it. There were plenty of other women running all about to help and to talk and to give the best advice to their husbands and to one another, but most of them naturally had their own babies, and if words came to action, quite enough to do to nurse them. On this account, Coxcroft could do no better, bound as he was to rush forth upon the sea, than lay the child gently aside of the stir and cover him with an old sail, and leave word with an ancient woman for his wife when found. The little boy slept on calmly still, in spite of all the din and uproar, the song and the shout, the tramp of heavy feet, the creaking of capstans, and the thump of bulky oars, and the crush of ponderous rollers. Away went these upon their errand to the sea, and then came back the grating roar and plashy jerks of launching, the plunging and the gurgling, and the quiet murmur of cleft waves. That child slept on, in the warm good luck of having no boat heel launched upon him, nor even a human heel of bulk as likely to prove fatal, and the ancient woman fell asleep beside him, because at her time of life it was unjust that she should be astir so early, and it happened that Mrs. Coxcroft followed her troubled husband down the steep, having something in her pocket for him, which she failed to fetch to hand, so everybody went about its own business, according to the laws of nature, and the old woman slept by the side of the child without giving him a corner of her scarlet shawl. But when the day was broad and brave, and the spirit of the air was vigorous, and every cliff had a color of its own and a character to come out with, and beautiful boats upon a shining sea flashed their oars and went up waves which clearly were the stairs of heaven, and never a woman come to watch her husband could be sure how far he had carried his obedience in the matter of keeping his hat and coat on, neither could anybody say what next those very clever fishermen might be after nobody having a spy-glass but only this being understood all round that hunger and salt were the victuals for the day and the children must chew the mouse-trap baits until their dads came home again and yet in spite of all this with lightsome hearts so hope outstrips the sun and soars with him behind her and a strong will up the hill they went to do without much breakfast but prepare for a glorious supper for mackerel are good fish that do not strive to live forever but seem glad to support the human race Flamborinians speak a rich burr of their own, broadly and handsomely distinct from that of outer Yorkshire. The same sagacious contempt for all hot haste and hurry, which people of impatient fibre are too apt to call a drawl, may here be found, as in other Yorkshire, guiding and retarding well that headlong instrument the tongue. Yet even here there is advantage on the side of Flamborough, a longer resonance, a larger breath, a deeper power of melancholy, and a stronger turn up of the tail of discourse by some called the end of a sentence over and above all these there dwell in little denmark many words foreign to the real yorkshiremen but alas these merits of their speech cannot be embodied in print without sad trouble and result is successful still more saddening 
Therefore, it is proposed to let them speak in our inferior tongue, and to try and make them be not so very long about it, for when they are left to themselves entirely, they have so much solid matter to express, and they ripen it in their minds and throats with a process so deliberate that strangers might condemn them briefly and be off without hearing half of it. Whenever this happens to a Flamborough man, he finishes what he proposed to say, and then says it all over again to the wind. When the lavings of the island, as the weak part unfit for sea and left behind, were politely called, being very old men, women, and small children, full of conversation came upon their way back from the tide to the gravel brow now bare of boats, they could not help discovering there the poor old woman that fell asleep because she ought to have been in bed, and by her side a little boy who seemed to have no bed at all. The child lay above her in a tump of stubbly grass, where Robin Coxcroft had laid him. He had tossed the old sail off, perhaps in a dream, and he threatened to roll down upon the granny. The contrast between his young, beautiful face, white raiment, and readiness to roll, and the ancient woman's weary age, which would be ungracious to describe, and scarlet shawl, which she could not spare, and satisfaction to lie still, as the best thing left for her to do now. This difference between them was enough to take anybody's notice facing the well-established son nancy pegler get oop with ye cried a woman even older but of tougher constitution same on ye to the boat so be ye brought to bed this time o life a wonderful fine baby for sich em old mother another proceeded with an elegant joke and fond swaddles too with so gold upon them this day every one o ye out to the way cried ancient nanny now wide awake as ever Master Robin Coxcroft, give me the bairn, and nobody shall have him but Joan Coxcroft. Joan Coxcroft, with a heavy heart, was lingering far behind the rest, thinking of the many merry launches, when her smart young Robin would have been in the boat with his father, and her pretty little Mercy clinging to her hand upon the homeward road, and prattling of the fish to be caught that day, and insomuch as Joan had not been able to get face to face with her husband on the beach, she had not heard of the stranger child. But soon the women sent a little boy to fetch her, and she came among them, wondering what it could be. For now a debate of some vigor was arising upon a momentous and exciting point, though not so keen by a hundredth part as it would have been twenty years afterward. For the eldest old woman had pronounced her decision. Tell you what, ah, death and think but what you bairn, mud he a frog bairn. This caused some panic and a general retreat. For though the immortal Napoleon had scarcely finished changing his teeth as yet, a chronic uneasiness about Crappus haunted the coast already, and they might have sent this little boy to pave the way, being capable of almost everything. Frog man, cried the old woman next to her by birth, and believed to have higher parts, though not yet ripe. Na, na, what frog man here? Frogman has skinny shanks and lark's heels and holes down their bodies like lamperns. No sign of no frog boot, young bairn. As fair as a wench and clean as a tyke, a malta almost born to a flamborough. And what gar ha crapples got, poor devils? This opened the gate for a clamor of discourse, for there surely could be no denial of her words, and yet while her elder was alive and out of bed, the habit of the village was to listen to her say, unless any man of equal age arose to countervail it. But while they were thus divided, Mrs. Coxcroft came, and they stood aside, for she had been kind to everybody when her better chances were, and now in her trouble all were grieved, because she took it so to heart. Joan Coxcroft did not say a word, but glanced at the child with some contempt, in spite of white linen and yellow gold. What was he to her own dead robin? But suddenly this child, whatever he was, and vastly so ever inferior, opened his eyes and sent home their first glance to the very heart of Joan Coxcroft. It was the exact look, or so she always said, of her dead angel when she denied him something, for the sake of his poor dear stomach. With an outburst of tears she flew straight to the little one, snatched him in her arms, and tried to cover him with kisses. 
The child, however, in a lordly manner, did not seem to like it. He drew away his red lips, gathered up his nose, and passion flew out of his beautiful eyes, higher passion than that of any coxcroft, and he tried to say something which no one could make out, and women of higher consideration looking on were wicked enough to be pleased at this, and say that he must be a young lord, and they had quite foreseen it. But Joan knew what children are, and soothed him down, so with delicate hands and a gentle look and a subtle way of warming his cold places, that he very soon began to cuddle into her and smile. Then she turned round to the other people, with both of his arms flung round her neck and his cheek laid on her shoulder, and she only said, The Lord hath sent him. End of chapter 10